You're listening to a reading of the book Disrupting Mercy by Matthew C. Clarke and Annabella Rossini Clarke. The book was published in 2022 and this reading is being distributed as a series of podcasts narrated by the author Matthew Clarke. Footnotes and bracketed references to verses in the Bible have mostly been omitted to make the reading flow more conversational. I assume if you want to study the fine details, you'll read either the printed or the e-book versions, which are available from many online booksellers, including Amazon. Biblical quotes are nearly all taken from the New Revised Standard Version. Preface. A society without mercy is harsh and unforgiving, but the dominant landscape of the modern Western world has become a merciless vista in which we have not only allowed but promoted unkindness and oppositional thinking to evade every aspect of our lives. I'm not just referring to military heavy-handedness, violent crimes, the rape of our environment and the massive prison populations, but also to the underlying social dynamics that make such extremes seem normal. I mean our propensity to find someone else to blame so that we can sue them. Oppositional politics that require constant one-upmanship and character assassination. An online culture of trolling that's deliberately provoking people into an argument and doxing, embarrassing or harassing people by leaking their private information to the public that often hides behind anonymity. Verbal abuse under the banner of free speech and the counterpoint of so-called cancel culture that shuts down alternative viewpoints rather than engage in meaningful conversation. These pernicious mechanisms are often deliberately contrived to generate insecurity and fear. They are both symptoms and drivers of an unhealthy society that demonstrates a deep need for kindness. The bar depicted in mass media and in social media has dropped so low that any expression of kindness can seem out of the ordinary, and mercy is seen as naive, old-fashioned, impractical and weak. In defiance of dominant forces that dehumanise us all and an anemic view of mercy, we have created opportunities for people to receive this book for free. This is a deliberate step away from the pervasive economy of exchange and toward a more nourishing ecology of love. Why? Because God desires mercy rather than sacrifice, and mercy is free. Properly understood, mercy disrupts our preconceptions about giving and taking, about what constitutes worth, and whether or not we should ever get what we deserve, and about the relationships between God's good news and human flourishing. My dual goal is to disrupt conventional thinking about mercy and to replace it with a concept that is itself radically disruptive. Mercy is not magnanimously throwing a few dollars to the poor from a position of superiority, nor is it a naive failure of justice that lets an offender off the hook. Such insipid notions are common but need to be disrupted. They are not the image of mercy portrayed in the Bible. As we shall see, the mercy of God and the network of reciprocal mercy that God invites us into is extravagant, outrageous, and even scandalous. Everyday kindness is the relational glue enabling us to be a society rather than a mob. We need more of that everyday kindness. But we also need something more. Above the base level of everyday good deeds, we need surprising and generous forms of forgiveness and compassion that are offered with no strings attached. 
We need the disruption of mercy, given freely and beyond what anyone could expect. Mercy is multi-layered. It responds to people's immediate needs for physical healing, but also addresses the core forms of human brokenness. It enables forgiveness of sin, liberation from bondage, and finding a way home from actual or metaphorical exile. Mercy also offers each of us disruptive opportunities for personal transformation and redemption, just as it did for Zacchaeus when Jesus called him down from the sycamore tree in Jericho. Ultimately, mercy is God's strategy for removing enmity not only between people, but also within each person, between people and God, and between people and the created world, so that with true and full shalom, all things in heaven and on earth may be reconciled in Christ. Mercy is the passion of God that powers the good news. As Australian-born musician Nick Cave points out, we need the safety net of mercy to allow us to take risks. Cave showed extraordinary insight as an observer of human capacity and fragility when he wrote, quote, Mercy is a value that should be at the heart of any functional and tolerant society. Mercy ultimately acknowledges that we are all imperfect and in doing so allows us the oxygen to breathe, to feel protected within a society through our mutual fallibility. Without mercy, a society loses its soul and devours itself. Mercy allows us the ability to engage openly in free-ranging conversation, an expansion of collective discovery towards a common good. If mercy is our guide, we have a safety net of mutual consideration, and we can, to quote Oscar Wilde, play gracefully with ideas. Yet mercy is not a given. It is a value we must nurture and aspire to. Tolerance allows the spirit of inquiry, the confidence to roam freely, to make mistakes, to self-correct, to be bold, to dare to doubt, and in the process to chance upon new and more advanced ideas. Without mercy, society grows inflexible, fearful, vindictive, and humorless. End of quote. The Christian Church has often promoted the importance of mercy, as have Judaism and Islam, Pope John Paul II made a heartfelt appeal for mercy, which he said, quote, Humanity in the modern world needs so much, even though they often do not realise it. End of quote. In doing so, he noted three duties of the Church regarding mercy, to proclaim God's mercy, to show mercy in its own actions, and to call on God for mercy. More recently, one of the first acts of Pope Francis was to declare an extraordinary jubilee of mercy to highlight, quote, the love of God who consoles, pardons, and instills hope, end of quote. I attended an Anglican service of Holy Communion one Sunday and counted 15 times that mercy was mentioned in the standard liturgy. Each week, Australian Anglicans repeatedly hear that God is merciful. But what does that mean? In two cases, the word was used declaratively, as in the sentence, you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. All other cases were in the context of calling on God to show us mercy, such as Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And yet, although mercy is mentioned many times, in my experience, our Christian tradition has rarely cultivated within its members a deep, life-changing engagement with the concept by the time you reach the end of this book, I hope you will have seen that acts of mercy and the predisposition or posture that undergirds those acts are the foundation stones of a society in which all can flourish. I hope those of you who identify as followers of Jesus will see something else as well. 
that the expression of mercy is not an optional extra, but an essential element of God's redemptive plan for the world. If I succeed, then the title of this book will become doubly true, having not only disrupted the common views of mercy as nice, naive and optional, but having also replaced those simplistic and dismissive attitudes with the idea that mercy itself is deeply disruptive, not weakly domesticated, but bold, challenging and transformative. Three important influences have intersected in the process of crafting that message. The Anabaptist tradition, research into the ongoing global problem of modern slavery, and my collaborator, Annabella. Subheading, Anabaptist Perspective. This biblical analysis of mercy is heavily influenced by the Anabaptist understandings of theology and ecclesiology. The Anabaptist tradition arose in the midst of the Reformation during the 16th century. Small groups of Christians across Europe thought that Luther and Zwingli had not gone far enough in their rethinking of biblical faith, especially around understandings of priesthood, baptism, and the alignment of church and state. Some of these groups, in which adults baptised each other, became known derisively as Anabaptists, literally the rebaptizers. Anabaptist theology evolved to emphasise the importance of local worshipping communities as the site of spiritual discernment, the importance of discipleship based on the life and teaching of Jesus, and a commitment to non-violence. In response to these practices, Anabaptist groups were violently suppressed by both Catholics and the Reformers. Anabaptists were arrested, burnt, and sometimes subjected to the third baptism, that is, drowning. The Anabaptist movement continues today in a variety of groups such as the Mennonites, Amish, Bruderhof, Hutterites and the Church of the Brethren. These varied expressions of church are neither Catholic nor Protestant. What unifies them is not a set of agreed beliefs or orthodoxy, but a commitment to faithful living that reflects right behaviour, orthopraxy, and the right heart, orthocardia. As you read this book, Distinctively Anabaptist ideas will seep through in, in the way I engage with the Bible, in my understanding of the interaction between the church and the surrounding world, in the way I draw on the life and teaching of Jesus as normative for the ethics of his followers, and in my non-coercive approach to ecological, social and spiritual reconciliation. Subheading, Modern Slavery Several years ago, my wife and I founded the Freedom Keys Research Project to investigate the apparent ineffectiveness of anti-slavery strategies in the past two decades. According to the best estimates we have, there may be 50 million people living with the types of abuse, exploitation and coercion that fall within the category of modern slavery, also called human trafficking. That is a huge number of people, and the evidence suggests that, despite massive amounts of effort to reduce the problem, the number is increasing. Our project generates innovative strategies for addressing modern slavery during the next two decades and tests the effectiveness of those strategies. We've been developing the idea that the key to ending modern slavery is not rescuing victims nor putting the traffickers in jail, important as these tasks may be, but understanding the external socio-economic drivers and internal motivations of traffickers so that meaningful alternatives can be created that enable them to change their own behaviours. In 2019, we visited friends in Fiji who do rehabilitation work with prisoners. In our conversations with them, the concept of mercy repeatedly came up. 
In both contexts, the global blight of modern slavery and personal rehabilitation in Fijian prisons, we saw the importance of changing perpetrators' perceptions of themselves, of finding forgiveness, and of being given opportunities to live differently. This set me on a journey to find out more about historical and biblical notions of mercy, and to think through how mercy might apply to the difficult social problems of today. As a consequence, modern slavery is an important thread woven through this book. Modern slavery exemplifies sin, bondage and exile, and demonstrates the extreme lack of mercy in the way some people treat others. It becomes a plumb line against which to test any claim about mercy. If mercy is as transformative as I think it is, how would it operate within contexts of horrendous evil, such as the abuses, exploitation and coercion of modern slavery? Subheading, Annabella and other supporters. My wife, Annabella, is the silent voice behind this book. Together, we run a sustainable social enterprise selling coffee in urban Australia to raise funds for various international development projects. This business, and the supportive community around it, has been the context for me to read, ponder, and write about mercy. Although the writing of the words has been my task, the ideas have arisen from our life and work together. Everything in this book springs from conversations between the two of us. She is my muse and my grace, my Talia, like the two Greek goddesses named Talia, which means flourishing. Annabella brings joy, abundance, lavish banquets, comedy and inspiration. She disrupts me with questions I would never have thought of, and mental pathways quite orthogonal to my own. Our lines of thinking often approach an idea from quite different angles, which is the right angle. When we esteem both lines and follow them with curiosity, the point of insight is often uncovered at the intersection. So this book is the outcome of a deeply collaborative process. I am also grateful to numerous people who read early drafts, and to friends who provided accommodation and nourishment, physical and spiritual, during writing retreats. As will be clear from the many citations in the book, I am also infinitely indebted to a myriad other people whose experiences and writings have influenced my own. Subheading, An Invitation Mercy is an action, rather than a feeling or a belief. To inspire action, I have tried to make this book interactive to the extent the printed form allows. I invite you into personal reflection and action rather than just engaging cognitively. Each podcast episode commences with a suggestion, a quote, a song or some art form for you to meditate on before listening to the chapter. Each episode ends with a prompt to reflect on your own responses to what you have heard. I include specific questions in the hope that we all move past polite affirmations so that through deeper personal reflection we allow mercy to change us. If you dislike my questions, just skip them, but please take time to reflect on how the ideas about mercy can be put into practice. The publisher's website also points readers to a community space where you can share your own stories of mercy. My hope is that through such sharing we will nourish and encourage each other on our journeys within God's web of mercy. This chapter of Disrupting Mercy has been narrated by Matthew C. Clarke. Other chapters are also available from the usual podcast distributors. You can also find them along with more details about the authors at turningteardropsintojoy.com. 
If you'd like to join a discussion about the book and share your own experiences of mercy, search for the Disrupting Mercy group on Facebook. <laughs>